morning. I'm Nate. I didn't want you to think it was somebody else. Um, We are in Matthew chapter 6, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6. We are still in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, We're going to be there for a while, and we're in verses 1 through 4, which I'm going to go ahead and read to get us started. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I'm starting off a sermon in a way I didn't think I ever would with a quote by Shakespeare. And the quote is, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players and they have their exits and their entrances. Um, Like actors in a play, I think we all wrestle a little bit with putting on airs and playing pretend at times. I know I do. Uh, We're often worried about how our performance is being judged by our critics. And our critics could be us, it could be those around us. Uh, For some of us, we're just trying to get our performance to be good enough that it doesn't get criticized. Uh, For others of us, we just want someone to take notice of us, because we are stars, and we need them to notice. In a world consumed by selfies and social medias and likes and all the rest of it, especially videos starring us, pictures with us as the centerpiece, you know, I think today's message is pretty timely. Uh, The desire to be appreciated, recognized, and even praised has been around a long time. It didn't just start in 2022. So again, we're in the, the Sermon of the Mount, and Jesus has been really criticizing the scribes and the Pharisees uh, for trivializing God's law. Uh, they have made God's law something that men could possibly even achieve. They've made it easier than God intended it for it to be, and they did that so that they themselves could prove to everyone how holy they were because they kept the new law that they have morphed God's law into. Um, For those who thought themselves murderers, we talked about that already, adulterers, divorced, oath-breakers, revenge-seekers, enemy-haters, Jesus demonstrated that everyone was guilty. And these scribes and these Pharisees thought they were better than these people that Jesus had been talking about. In fact, for the people at the time, the scribes and the Pharisees, was that was the level of holiness that you wanted to get to. They were the guys who were doing it completely right. And Jesus said in in chapter 5, verse 20, your righteousness needs to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. That was mind-blowing at the time. That uh, must have just blown the back of, of the heads off of the people listening. I mean, these were the guys that you would aspire to be. Jesus was demonstrating again, we all fall short of the glory of God. He continued to drive his point home, and he started to discuss giving, praying, and fasting. Uh, Today, we're going to focus on giving. He targeted these three because these three had become almost elevated to a point where they should not have been elevated. And in Robertson's word pictures of the New Testament, he termed this the righteousness of the Pharisees. So giving of alms or giving to the needy, praying and fasting, 
had been elevated at that time as almost the holiest things you could do. Almost like you could earn your way to heaven by doing them. Uh, A historical book called Ecclesiasticus, not to be confused with Ecclesiastes. Uh, This is not a book in the Bible, but it is a, a book that they revered at the time. Ecclesiasticus 3.20, the giving of alms was believed to make atonement for sin. I could pay off my sin by giving. I could earn my way to heaven by doing these things. So giving, praying, and fasting had been elevated way too high. And Paul would later describe this about such people in Romans 10.3, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And I want to briefly turn there because the next verse is even uh, more amazing. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So in the, in the place of Christ, they had made their own righteousness king. They had elevated their own works as the things that would get them there. So in the first verse, chapter 6, verse 1, he says again, A warning, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for you'll have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. So my first point today is, in general, don't put on a play. In general, don't put on a play. He was given this warning to everybody. Uh, Beware is the word he starts with, and it is meant to draw the full attention of the listeners. In the NET, be careful is how that's translated. In the King James Version, it's take heed. It's like a parent putting your hands on both sides of your kid's face and like, listen, you know, pulling your information. Not that you've ever had to do that, but I've had to at least once. And he was not, Jesus was, not forbidding all public acts, so to speak. He didn't say you can't do any good works in public. That's not what he was talking about. He was specifically forbidding us doing those works so that we can get the approval of other people. Uh, The only reason we would do them is so that people would praise us, so to speak. Now, the Greek word that translates to be seen, which is in verse 1, is where we get the word theatrical. It could also be translated as a spectacular performance. And I thought that was very interesting because where Jesus was trying to get the full attention of his listeners with the beware, those who perform their good works for others were trying to get the full attention of the audience and their praise and their approval. Now many listening at the time, I mean there was a bunch of people listening to this sermon, they were guilty of this but none more so than the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, They put on a great show. Uh, They were the headline actors, the main attraction, you know. They loved to compare themselves with the people around them, the common folk, uh, to show how holy they were. And so this is kind of reflecting on that word practice. Uh, You don't want to do your righteousness to be seen by others. They practice their righteousness in front of every. Else, and in a sense, it's like a regular occurrence. You could catch their show at one, three, and five. Show up. This general warning is given to anyone who plays the character of the very pious and the holy, but are heartless. They're hypocrites, they're frauds. Now, if you would flip over to Matthew 23, spoiler alert, you know, we're going to get here eventually. We're jumping ahead. Matthew 23, verse 27. I'll give you a minute to get there for all four of us with the paper Bibles. We've got to flip, you know, to the right. 
And it says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, outwardly beautiful, but within full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. The general play results in no reward from the Father in heaven. I'm not going to specifically get into rewards yet. I will in just a minute. But Jesus was talking about them and warning them, you don't want to be like a beautiful coffin. Just gorgeous on the outside and just full of death on the inside. So once he gave the general warning, he started to move on to the topic of giving. And so my second point was, when giving, don't put on a public play. And that's what he really addresses in verse 2. When he says, thus when you've given to the needy, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. Now I know when we look down at this, uh, when you give, not if you give. And so sadly I have to address the topic of giving, which I know is not very popular in church settings. I'm also aware of why I'm the one doing the sermon and not Pastor Kenny. I'm kidding. It was random. It just fell out that way, I'm sure. The reason why this can have such a negative connotation is because this act of giving, this topic of giving has been pretty abused in the past. And I've seen some of this, and so have you. A lot of us have had negative experiences with it. Perhaps you can recommend or recognize some of these. Uh, you know, you have the heavy-handed demand for giving. The basket just keeps going around. All right, this is the building fund. And this is the car fund. And this is the kids fund. And this is the cuz fund. You know. There's the legalistic giving where you have to give a percent, a particular percent, uh, or, or you have to give this much or that much. There's the guilt-based giving. If you don't give, you're bad. You're a bad person. So Give. There's the giving so that I can get more stuff that I want giving. Some people believe that this is biblically true when it's not. You know, if I give $10, the Lord will bless me by giving me $100 back or something along those lines. This is not the giving that Jesus was talking about. Specifically, he was talking about giving to the needy, but I think the general principles apply to giving uh, as well. So some points of clarification, just because I know some of us are new to this Christian game. Uh, some of us might have been around for a while and still a little confused by, you know, why do we make a point to talk about giving all the time? So the first reason is because God commands us to give. And as believers, we want to be obedient to that. And I'm not going to go into tremendous detail uh, with this, but I did want to put up a few uh, quick things. Like in the Old Testament, it talks about how the people of God had multiple tithes and offerings and sacrifices that they were to give to the temple and to the needy. They were to contribute to God's people they were to find the needy among them and to give to them. And your notes are all the Bible verses that I looked at. There are so much more, but this will at least get you started. All right, so I'll leave that up to you for your homework. You can go look all these up. In the New Testament, the believers are commanded to give both to the people of God, which is your local church, and the needy as they can joyfully give. And that's a super important verse in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 7. So important that I would love us to turn there uh, to take a look at it. Let me know when you're there. I'm turning there too. There we go. We're almost there. 
This is what happens when an idea occurs to you midway through it, and you're like, we should go there. And you don't plan on going there. Here we are. Verses 6 and 7. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so I wanted to look at that because the New Testament is different when it says that there's no minimum. There's no minimum amount. But it says there's no maximum. The only measure is what my heart joyfully wants to give, which is almost horrifying. Because for some of us, when we heard there was no minimum, a part of us rejoiced and we're like, we're taking it down. I've been giving way too much. For part of us, we were like, I'm celebrating how generous I've been. This is fantastic. But honestly, my giving is a reflection of the joy I have in Christ. And that can be horrifying if I take that into consideration. So number one, we're commanded to give. We're commanded to give because God is glorified, God's people are helped, and the gospel goes out. In 3 John, verses 5 through 8, uh, I just want to show the New Testament truth of this. Beloved, it is a faithful thing to do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You'll do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. They have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like this, that they may be fellow workers for the truth. Romans twelve thirteen. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. We also have 2 Corinthians 8, 7. But as you excel in everything, faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness, and your love for you, see that you excel in the act of this grace also, meaning giving. And so you can see that there is an explicit command given to God's people that we ought to be givers. So the first reason we give is because God commanded us to. The second one is because, and I think this is fantastic, he enables us to give and then rewards us for giving. This is amazing. In Ephesians 2.10, it really brings this home. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for beforehand that we should walk in them. He has prepared beforehand for me to give, be the giver that he is causing me to be. In Philippians 2.12 and 13, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so you can see there's a call for me to strive in this and to work in this and to put effort into this with fear and trembling. But that it also is God who gives me that will and that work and that effort. So he sets aside good works for us to do, including giving. He is prepared for us to do it. And then he rewards us for the works he gave us to do. I mean, come on. That is fantastic. And just some more, Deuteronomy 15.10, You shall give to him freely. Your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him, because for the Lord God will bless you in your work and in all that you undertake. And again, Proverbs 11.24, One gives freely and grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. And then some of you are going, I thought you just said that if I gave money, I wasn't getting money back. I did. But I'm going to talk about this in a little bit more detail. What are the rewards that he's promising us? Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. 
For with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Now again, God does not promise that you get money back necessarily. Now, could he do that? Absolutely he could do that. He could choose to bless us with money. It's not an investment strategy. I've heard some people who thought this. They were taught this. Uh, You know, this is the best investment strategy because your returns are going to be out of this world, you know. That's not what it's talking about. God is promising a reward greater than money. He promises the gift of himself, his provision in this life, and all the rewards and blessings that Christ should get alone in heaven for us. This is the reward he's talking about. So back to Jesus. Here he is, Sermon on the Mount, and he continues to say, Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets. Now what does that mean? I had to look that up. Now he used the words hypocrite, and when you translate that, it's the Greek word for actor or a character in the play. And so what would happen is the Pharisees would go to the temple when it's very busy, and they'd make a big show of their giving. I mean, just make a massive show of like, oh man, this is heavy, the weight of what I'm giving, you know, so that everybody could see them. They made sure to go right in the middle of the sermon, so to speak, when the most people were present. They would go to the busy street corners, and historically they'd sound the trumpet. Now they said it was so that the needy would come to them so that they could give. It was so that you could see the performance. They'd sound the trumpet, the people all like, oh, here they go, given. And they would get all the attention that comes with that. And the reason for that is it says right here, they wanted the praise of others. They did it on purpose so that people would see them and praise them. Now, where should that praise go? It should go to God alone. But we're so tempted as they were to receive that praise and not let it go. We want it. They wanted it. They wanted all the ooh and the ahs that they would get from the audience. And Jesus said, truly, you have received your reward. You got the claps, you got the likes, you got the follows and the subscribers. Jesus specified that they had received everything they wanted and everything they were going to get because all they were after was the measly praise of men. Now, I've got to imagine that some people sighed when they realized that they were not guilty of such public displays. They thought pretty highly of themselves, perhaps, you know. They thought maybe they were getting off, easy. Um, But their relief would be short-lived because Jesus then continued on to discuss private plays that we can put on for smaller crowds or even for ourselves in our own hearts. And that's my last point. When giving, don't put on a private play. So we had in general, don't put on a play. Don't fake it. Don't be a hypocrite. When giving, don't put on the public play or the public display. And now point number three is when giving, don't put on the private play. And that's verses three and four. When you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees you will reward you. Jesus is mentioning giving to the needy a second time. And he commands his hearers like a weird phrase, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. So I had to look that up as well. Now here's the general sense of it. It's an action so discreet that if my left hand would do it, or the left hand rather wouldn't be aware of the right hand doing it. That's how secretive it was. Or, something done on the right side of my body would not be even perceived by someone standing to the left of my body. That's how secretive I would be. It's kind of a word phrase or a word play to show how very secret our giving ought to be. In other words, 
One wouldn't even tell their closest friends, family, or even meditate on it too long in their own minds, giving themselves a little round of applause inside. These are the private plays he began to warn about. And how many times had their listeners uh, to Jesus rushed to a friend just to tell them about a good deed they had done? How many times have they meditated on their own good work and played it back in their heads and thumbs up themselves? Uh, They believed that they were, in a sense, worthy of that praise. They had deceived themselves. As Paul said in Galatians 6.3, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. If I get a big head and I think I'm worthy of praise, I'm worthy of applause and all these kinds of things, I'm lying to myself. So Jesus commanded them, stop the private place too. And he provided a reason for this, so that your giving may be in secret. So how secret is he talking? The word for secret has a sense of being the innermost room of a house with no windows. So what I'm doing in this room, nobody could even accidentally peek in and see it. Do it in secret. Now, Jesus was not condemning public giving. He wasn't condemning putting money in a basket. He wasn't condemning dropping it in the box. He wasn't condemning online giving. In some ways, people are going to know what we're up to to some degree when we give to our local church or when we give to the needy. And I know this because in Luke 21, verses 1 through 4, We have a picture of Jesus sitting in a temple service watching people give, and he doesn't condemn them. Jesus looked up and saw saw the rich putting their gifts in the offering box, and he also saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, and he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. So he didn't condemn public giving in general. In fact, he praised her for what she gave. The main point of his command was that one should not make a spectacle of their generosity. He was indicating that the utmost caution was to be taken during the act of giving so the least amount of attention would be drawn to me and most of it would go to God where it belongs. And after giving this reason, he said, so that your father may see you and reward you in secret. And he again promises the gift of himself and his provision in this life an inheritance and rewards in heaven to those who are conducting good works in secret for him alone. Now, we already looked at Luke 6, 38, so we'll jump to Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Do not lay up treasures on earth where the moth and the rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And I think Matthew Henry summarized it well, and he said, the riches we impart are the only wealth we'll always retain. Uh, Do we give like that? So at the time, I mean, if you're sitting in the crowd, you're listening to what Jesus is saying, it's kind of obvious who he's mostly talking about, scribes and the Pharisees, you know? Maybe they're pointing at them to the people around them. What would it look like in today, Jacksonville, 2022, What would the hypocrite look like? I think I want to take us through some of this to see, you know, what would the hypocrite who puts on a general play of their religion religion look like today? Well, it's the person who does a good deed and then quickly posts it to social media. Look at this. Look at how I'm helping. Look at how I got the right light. The parent who makes it known that they put their kids first, but they don't have any time for their spouse. 
The parent who makes it known that they keep their house perfectly but will lash out if anyone messes it up. The working person does everything the boss says but just gripes and complains and gossips behind their back. The children who go, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, upon hearing their parents' instructions but then completely ignores them as they walk away. No amens there, please. The person who thought of other people while writing this list and hearing about it. Somebody else popped up in your head. The person who claims to be a believer and who doesn't give at all. Not in their finances, not in their actions, not in their service, nothing. And as a moment on that last one, the Bible doesn't know about a believer who's not a giver. There are some exceptions that I could find in the Bible when extreme debt is involved. We would help get you out of that extreme debt so that you could be a generous person. But in the meantime, we could give of our talents and our time just as easily. And so if that's you, if you're struggling, for example, with debt, I mean, that's what the church is here to help you with. How do we do finances from a biblical perspective? But most of the time we say we don't have money, but we're buying the things we want. We're paying the monthly subscription to, I don't even know how many streaming platforms at this point. Or we say we don't have enough time, but we're making time for what we want to do. My phone tells on me, it'll tell me how much time I spent each week on the device. It gives me the shame report, you know. It's up 27%. And I'm like, listen, phone, the Johnny Depp court case trial has been on. I'm trying to get it figured out. So we want to search our heart. Do we give? Do we serve? If not, why not? We don't want to play the hypocrite. Now what about a hypocrite who puts on a public play of their giving today? What would that look like? Well, I've seen a lot of YouTube because I have children. And on the people that are on the YouTube, they do these wonderfully tremendous, generous things. And they give a junk ton of money away. Or they give houses away and cars away. And then they get all the praise and the credit and the likes back. That would be a, a pretty modern example of what we're talking about. They just look at the whole world and go, look how generous I am. Man. And here's a video about it. I gave away $100 million. And you can follow me and hit like and subscribe and swoosh that like button. Someone who hand delivers a check to the important people at the church so they know where the money came from. If anybody uses checks. Someone who insists on having our name or the business name that we're associated with to be associated with the giving so that everybody can know when we had the opportunity to keep it anonymous. Now lastly, a hypocrite is someone who puts on a private play of giving would look like this in Jacksonville. Casual telling of a friend. Referring to a gift in conversation with a pastor or elder. You know, pastor, it was my joy to give that $258.27. The allusion to something I've done in a conversation perhaps with a homeless person. You know, I was able to share the gospel and then I gave them a 50, you know. Just getting it in there so that I can get a little bit of that praise for myself. Anytime we draw attention or praise to ourselves in the area of giving instead of directing it toward God, uh, we are in sin. Perhaps after hearing God's word today and asking ourselves these questions, we've come to a harsh realization that we're hypocrites. It's not good. 
Jesus had pretty harsh word for hypocrites. He called them wolves in sheep's clothing in Matthew 7, 15. Whitewashed tombs, as we've heard in Matthew 23, 27. Snakes, broods of vipers, Matthew 23 and 33. He warned that the ongoing unrepentant hypocrite would result in that person being put far away from him and eventually cast into eternal darkness, Mark 7, 6, and Matthew 7, 21 through 23. In short, all hypocrites, according to Scripture, deserve hell. And we're all hypocrites. That's the bad news. Now, recently, I had a member of our church come up to me and say, when you preach, you better preach about grace. And I was like, amen. I love that. And so I want to make sure I do that. I don't want to ever preach if we're not making a big deal about the grace of God and the good news of the gospel. So against the dark backdrop of the bad news that we're all hypocrites and we're blowing it, I want to point to the good news. So what is the good news as it relates to this, to giving? The good news, I could sum it up in two words, God gave. God gave. God the Father sent his only son. He gave his only son. God the Son, Jesus Christ, came willingly to earth. He never sinned and he was never a hypocrite in any way. And he was labeled the hypocrite by all the people of his time, He took on the sin of the hypocrites who would ever belong to him. He became the hypocrite in their place on the cross, and he took the hypocrites' hell for what they had done. Now, he was made a spectacle on the cross. We've talked a lot today about plays and theater and making a spectacle. He was made a public spectacle. His death transformed into the most horrific of theater. He was shamefully put on display for all to see. And while we pretend in public for the praise of men, he was killed in public for the same thing, for the praise of men. People shouted for that. He died, and three days later he rose from the dead, overcoming sin, overcoming death, overcoming Satan. And anyone who would repent of their hypocrisy and disobedience and stinginess and put their faith and trust in Christ can be saved. They'll be forgiven all their sins. They'll be given a heart. I mean... I've got the stingiest heart I know. My wife is the most generous person I've met. She wants to give it to everybody. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe we should rethink this. He takes out that stingy heart and he gives you a heart that's gradually more generous. For some, it takes a little longer than others. We'll be rewarded in heaven forever because of what Christ did. And because Christ deserves all praise, we're free not to put on any plays. I don't have to pretend for you because of what Christ did for me. I don't have to hide what I am. I'm a sinner. But we're still tempted to hide it. We're still tempted to make ourselves look good when we don't deserve it. He looked good, so I don't have to worry about doing it. There's no need for me to seek praise. When God looks on the believer, he sees the perfections of Christ. He sees every good thing that Christ did when he looks on Nate and when he looks on you. So because Christ gave all and supplies us with everything we could ever need, we're free to give joyfully from a thankful heart. So if you're a believer here today and you've been convicted, as I have, in just preparing this and preaching it, you can repent. You can turn the right way and go toward Christ again. You can do your works for your heavenly Father. You can give privately. You can give joyfully and generously. We're the needy. He commands us to give to the needy, but it's a reminder that we are the needy. We're the ones that needed him to give his son for us. 
And so as believers, we can rejoice that as the most needy, he gave. And for an unbeliever who might be here today who does not know Christ, if you're convicted of your sin, you're the needy one. You can repent of your sin. You can put your faith and trust in Christ and be forgiven. Get a new heart. Forgiven all of your sins and obtain heaven forever. I want to close us in prayer before I'm done here. And I just want to encourage us as a church. I know you to be generous. I've seen the evidence of it. And I'm excited to see how much more generosity and joyful giving that we can do when we consider Christ and the gospel and what he's done for us. Let's pray. Father, We come before you in the name of your son. And you are so generous. And we praise your name for your gift, the gift of your son, for the most needy, us. And we confess to you our our disobedience, our stinginess, our desire for praise and approval. And we ask that you help us be more like you, to rejoice in the things that you've done for us, to encourage each other for good works as a church, and to grow more and more like Christ every day. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.